This is the show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon, Taking Care of Business. We have an incredible show this week. We were lucky enough to get Ellen Goldfarb, who is the person who made the movie Dare to be Different. It's the story of WLIR, which was a legendary music station in Long Island and really close to us on the dial. So, Ellen, welcome. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You have made a phenomenal movie. I, I should start off the show by saying I saw the movie. I saw it at the Gold Coast Arts Festival. I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing, and that's why I reached out to invite you to be a guest. For, for Thank those, you so much. It, it's a great movie, and I know that I'm going to kind of telegraph this ahead of time, but um, I know there's all this great content that may not have made it to the screen because it was such a, a robust and content-rich movie. It was, it was unbelievable. Tell me about the great history of WLAR. So WLAR was a radio station that formed in 1959, okay, and the original owner was a man named John Rieger and his wife, Dory. And John, uh, the station was originally in Garden City, and it really played at that time, I would say, a mixture of, like, mellow Broadway tunes and, like, classical music at that time. And then in the 60s and 70s, it started to become more of a progressive rock format station. And most people would remember the logo. It had like a seagull on it. I even had one. I remember listening to the station at that time. And they played music that was at that time, I guess you can call progressive. They played um, like the Grateful Dead and Joni Mitchell, bands like that. And they also played a lot of local bands like the Good Rats and Zebra and some other local Long Island bands that weren't getting a lot of airplay at that time, but then eventually did. Um, Twisted Sister came out of WLIR. Um, bands that, you know, were considered kind of, I guess, progressive rock back then. And the station did really well, but what was happening was um, they were competing with a lot of rock and roll stations out of New York City, the big stations like WPLJ and WNEW. And there was, which nobody knew at that time, except for the people that worked at LIR, there was a, an unfortunate situation that happened with Mr. Rieger <clears throat> where he illegally did some subletting of the station to some people while his wife was in the hospital undergoing some illness situations. And so the FCC found out about it and was not happy with the way he was managing the station. And so they sort of lost their license, but... It's weird because they never really had a license. They always had this pending license. And so they were given this temporary license. And Elton Spitzer came in to uh, help uh, John Rieger run the station and then eventually became a partner. And this was in the early 80s. And... Um, I think Rieger owned like 51% and Elton Spitzer owned like 49%. So uh, Elton really thought that he would be able to fix things, all the mess that John Rieger had done back in the early 70s and, and late 70s. And so... He and who the man who was the program director at the time, Dennis McNamara, 
had some meetings with some of their staff and some consultants, and they knew they had to really get the station more powerful in terms of listeners and make money. And a lot of this money that they were making had to go to lawyers that, I mean, Elton used to fly to Washington, D.C. to try to handle all this mess that was going on. And so a lot of money went to attorneys. Um, And so um, they had to make a decision. And Dennis was um, a very um, influential uh, radio person before he got to LIR. He was working uh, as an intern at WNEW and did some college radio and was very, very into, you know, being uh, in tune with what was going on that was different than what was the norm. So he would follow what was going on in England and overseas and read all of the um, publications like NME and all of these other, you know, British publications that were were, were showing what was going on different in music than the United States. And he was very intrigued by this. And so he brought to Elton's attention, you know, why don't we do something like this with our station? And it was a big risk because nobody wanted to play this music in the United States. Other radio stations turned this music down. And so they had to make a decision. Um, there were consultants that met with them, and they said, you know, look, you need to do something because you can't play the same rock and roll that NEW and BAB, and at that time they had a station called WAPP, the Apple, that was commercial-free, and they were getting high ratings. And so these 50,000-watt stations were really overpowering little WLIR. And with all these lawsuits and legal things that they had to deal with, they were going to, you know, fall apart. And so Dennis convinced Elton to go with this new format of what was happening in England. And what they did was they were the only station that completely went into this new format. There was a station in Los Angeles called K-Rock, K-R-O-Q, that was doing progressive radio in the late 70s as well, uh, similar to what LIR was doing. Like Dennis was starting to mix in like fans like David Bowie and um, uh, Joan Jett and, you know, just bands that, uh, the Ramones, uh, a lot of New York bands, um, and then a few European bands, but he didn't have really a platform. And K-Rock was doing the same thing. They would mix in a lot of L.A. punk or new wave type bands into their classic rock format. I guess you can, we call it classic rock now, but it was. It was rock, rock when we time. lived through it. <laughs> right. It was rock. Now it's classic. Um, and so the difference between a station like KROQ and WLIR is KROQ did play that kind of music, but they continued with their rock format where LIR completely said goodbye to Twisted Sisters, said goodbye to Billy Joel. And interestingly, you know, Billy Joel was, you know, that was his second home, LIR. Um, You know, they championed Billy when he first started out. Same with Bruce Springsteen. Um, They would do LIR radio concerts out of, you know, places like my father's place, you know. And they, um, some of them had their first, Radio shows on LIR, the, the, the police, uh, for instance. And so, you know, Billy Joel had a, had an, I mean, he lived at the station. He was part of their, he played softball on the LIR softball team. I mean, he was really good friends with them. And when Dennis had to tell 
Billy, you know, we're going with this new format. It's all punk and new wave and, and synth rock and it's, it's dance rock. It's not Billy Joel music anymore. He, he was really upset. And, uh, so for many years, Billy and Dennis didn't speak. Um, and so, I mean, this was, this was a big risk that LIR took. And, you know, for some of the old listeners, they didn't want any part of it. They were like, what is this crap? You know, we, we were used to listening to our rock and roll and now they're playing all this new wave punk dance music that was different. It was fresh. It was very European. It was very different sounding. And some people stayed loyal listeners and loved it. And some people left, but then, you know, they started championing all of these new, new, new bands that no one ever heard of at that time. Bands like Duran Duran, A Flock of Seagulls, um, The Replacements, um, Billy Idol, uh, The Cure, Depeche Mode, like hundreds of bands started to hear about this little radio station on Long Island in the U.S. that would actually accept their music because a lot of stations across the country, traditional, you know, stations did not want to play this music. And so, you know, on the flip side, um, these bands were, were in places like England and Ireland and Scotland, and they weren't getting any airplay there either. So when they started to hear about this little radio station in New York, uh, you know, the biggest media capital of, of the United States, the biggest media market, they were ecstatic. And so Dennis would fly to England and all these managers and labels wanted to meet with Dennis and they would give him, you know, singles, please, please bring this back to the U S play these songs, listen to them. And, LIR, you know, they had an amazing staff of, you know, really talented individuals, creative individuals that were really into all this music, and they started to break bands one by one, break singles one by one. And, you know, this started to happen in the late 70s, early 80s, and then MTV came along. And they were based in New York, and they were following what LIR was doing. And they started to then learn from LIR and, believe it or not, you know, get the videos and play them on MTV. So there's a big history there, and a lot of influence came from this little radio station. And so that was one of the reasons why, you know, I felt this story had to be told. Now, we, I, now think I, I, have course, to quite, I want to ask a question. Were you a fan of LIR? Yeah. So on a personal level, I grew up on Long Island, and um, LIR was, was my life. I mean, I listened to it in the 70s when it was a progressive station, and then I was there for the change. I graduated high school in 1983, so... I was there for the change, and it really affected my life. Um, you know, personally, I had um, uh, kind of a devastating, I guess you can call it, childhood with a divorced family and whatnot. And so music was my outlet. And when these bands came along and this music came along, it became a safe haven for me, and it was my music. It wasn't my parents' music. It was my music. And, you know, when you listened to WLAR back then, it was kind of like it was kind of like your social media that you are into now. You know, like we didn't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. We had LIR. So, you know, you were listening to live DJs, that were, you know, they were on, you felt like they were your friends. They were talking to you. They were telling you what the new song of the week was, what the, where, where to go to buy cool clothes, where to go to hang out, where you can go to meet your favorite DJ, where you go to dance, where you go to socialize. 
And it became kind of a community. Radio back then was more of a community than it was just, you know, computerized playing music like it is today. You were able to call in and speak to a DJ and or speak to the airliners and vote for your favorite song. The Screamer and, of the Week. <laughs> yeah, Screamer of the Week. I mean, the Screamer of the Week was one of the biggest... I mean, there were... What I found out by doing research, uh, you know, all my research for the film was that labels and, you know, big top managers and music promoters would listen to what the Screamer of the Week was and they would pick their next singles based on what the Screamer of the Week was. That's huge. That is Promotional, huge. I mean, that's huge. Well, in many ways, it's the ultimate focus group in a way. Yeah. You know? Uh, and it's interesting, we, we talked about Screamer of the Week, you know, Dennis and I, and he was a big, um, you know, he was big on watching those old TV shows where, you know, you vote for things. And then, of course, there was American Idol where you can vote on American Idol. He really loved that idea of getting the audience involved. And, you know, this was like, yeah, this was pre-American Idol. And... um that's what you did. You call up and you vote for your favorite song and whoever won. I mean, we had, the artists remember Screamer of the Week, and we have it in the film where they were like, of course I remember Screamer of the Week. We couldn't wait to be here if we were Screamer of the Week. I think it's Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran talks about it. Like, our Capitol Records rep would tell us if we won Screamer of the Week or not, and we were so excited. I mean, that's, that's huge. You know? it, it, so, it is huge. By the way, for those who are listening, this is Richard Solomon with my very special guest, Ellen Goldfarb. She has made a phenomenal movie. It's called Dare to be Different. Uh, the website is dtbthemovie.com. When we come back, I'm going to ask her the famous question I ask all people who are creative people. We all start with a blank page, but then it becomes this tour de force. What happened between that blank page and the final product? But keep it locked in. We'll be right back. Taking care of business, Richard Saul. Hi, this is Rory Cosgrove, and you're listening to Rich Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. All right, Richard Solomon, welcome back to Taking Care of Business with my very special guest, Ellen Goldfarb. Her movie, New Wave, Dare to be Different. And you can go to daretobedifferentthemovie.com. But we got it right here. So uh, before the break, I wanted to find out, you know, all books, movies, everything kind of starts as just a blank piece of paper, on, either on a clipboard or a, you know, a notepad or a composition book. And then somewhere between that moment... And your debut is a lot of process. Tell us a little bit about sort of the lightning bolt that started it. Um, you know, where, you know, how, how, I assume one day you were like, I'm going to make a movie about this. Where were you? How, <laughs> how did that unfold? Who, who was the first person you told? <laughs> so I guess I was inspired to do this film actually um, when I was, on Facebook one day, I saw that there were quite a few um, fan pages that were dedicated to WLIR. And I was like, wow, you know, this station hasn't existed for a long time. And there are a lot of people here that are talking about, um, you know, WLIR, this station that went off the air a long time ago. And I thought it was really interesting. And I loved WLIR. It was my life, my station. Um, and so I started reading all the posts of people and there were like, not a few, there were like hundreds of people on there, you know, saying, oh, radio's not the same. I wish they would bring WLIR back. I miss LIR. I miss Larry the Duck. I miss Donna Donna. I was talking about the DJs and then they were posting songs and I was like, oh my God, I love that song. And, you know, so we were all kind of connected again. And I realized, like, wow, like, whatever happened to WLIR? Because, you know, one day it went off the air, then it was WDRE, then it was WLIR again, and it was, like, it was kind of confusing. Like, nobody really knew why it went off the air and what happened. And so I started to do some research, and I was like, wow, this is a really interesting story. 
So um, I decided to see if I can, you know, make something out of this. And I went to a website, WLIR.FM, and saw that there was a gentleman, gentleman named Robert Wilson who was kind of archiving all of the WLIR, you know, archive things that were, were he was finding on the Internet and whatnot and putting it on a website. So I contacted him and I said, you know, how are you related to the station? And he told me he worked there briefly, but that he was the archivist for LIR. And I knew that Dennis McNamara was the guy that I had to reach. I remember that he was the program director. He was also an on-air talent. I used to love listening to him. He was he was just so charismatic on the radio, and he always had great interviews. And but I, I remembered that he was he was the guy, and so I, I asked him. I said, "By the way, you know, do you have any contact to Dennis McNamara? I have this idea of possibly, you know, wanting to do a film or some kind of a, you know, something." that had to do with LIR. And he was able to connect me with Dennis, and that's how it all started. And uh, it took a long time. You know, it took time to get Dennis on board, and we had to have, we've had, we had many talks prior to us starting, and, and, you know, he wanted to make sure this was a legitimate project. And then as we went and moved forward, you know, we became, we became great friends, you know, and now Dennis is like family. It's seven years later after making this film, and, you know, Dennis and I are super close. But, um, you know, through Dennis, then I met the other people that um, became in the film, like Epi and some of the other DJs, and then that trickles on to, you know, people in the industry, and that trickles on to club owners, and that, and so on and so forth, and that's how we got everyone to become part of the film. You have um, you have some amazing rock and roll legends in the movie. I mean, we in, do. In, 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 I, I mean, I remember just offhand, and, and with respect to all of them, I remember there was Billy Idol, there was Howard Jones, there was Joan Jett and Kenny Laguna, there was. Um, the, the, I think Chris and Tina from the Talking Heads. Um, mm-hmm. trying to think who else was there. I have to take a look at. There was Deborah Harry. I think. Uh, who else did you have? Uh, Jim. Well, we have um, we have Debbie Harry and Chris Stein from Blondie. We have um, Seymour Stein, who is the founder of Sire Records. We have Cy Kernan of the Fix, Jim Care of Simple Minds, uh, Matt Pinfield's in the movie. I mean, we have. A lot of people in this movie. Yeah, you know, um, are you even Baba Bowie? That's right. <laughs> Baba Bowie. He used to work at the. Well, he was an intern at the station for um, for a long time, and he talks about you know how much he loved working there, and he actually worked for the news the news crew with um, uh, with Carol Silva and Steve North, and Carol Silva is a famous. Um, television newscaster now on, uh, I think it's channel, channel nine or channel 11 in New York. But, um, so yeah, so we, uh, so much talent. I mean, so Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran, I don't know if you mentioned him. He's in the movie, Tom Bailey of the Thompson twins. Um, Vince Clark, who was in Erasure, Depeche Mode and Yaz. Um, Thomas Dolby. Um, we ha- we interviewed at least thirty different artists. What, what, what um, were some of your? Was, what, I don't mean to interrupt. What, what was some of your favorite behind the scenes stories that may or may not have made it to the actual film? One one of the ones that I actually loved was when Joan Jett was talking about how you know they 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 they, they, they mastered the album and then they ran it to the station before they they took the actual. Real masters and brought to the station, right. <laughs> and and to yeah, the horror of rock and roll, <laughs> right? To the yeah. horror of uh, you know the record label, uh, the masters were not in anybody's possession, custody, or control. <laughs> they were just on the air, and I, and I remember hearing about that and watching that in the movie, and I thought that was an awesome story behind the scenes. What? Yeah, I, we have so many great stories, and what we're going to be doing is, I mean, I have probably over two, 
at least two, 200 hours of footage. I mean, we shot for seven years. And so, you know, to make this into a 90, 92.7 minute film, <laughs> um, was pretty challenging to say the least. Um, I had a fantastic editor, um, a fantastic writer who helped me. Who happens to be my brother. Um, he's a very, um, he's a screenwriter and, um, he created the um, 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which was on Broadway. Um, he's a very creative um, person. And so he um, he and I worked on the story the very last six months of, of finishing the project um, and had to delete so much amazing stuff to create story. And... He and I would fight. I'm like, no, leave this in. This is great. He's like, you can't. We can't. It's story, story, story. And he always was very good on keeping me on track because I have so much stuff. So that was the biggest challenge. When you have too much stuff, too much great stuff, and not enough time to put it in, it's like, well, what do you do? So, you know, everything was transcribed. And so what I plan to do is take some of these untold amazing stories and we're going to do a book. But you should also, you should also probably do a television series called the greatest untold stories of rock and roll because. Yeah, seriously. I mean, not only do they relate to WLIR, some of them are just the greatest stories of the eighties, you know, or uh, just personal stories of each artist. Um, or just even the personal stories of the people that worked at the station, you know. So I have so much, so much. So, yeah, we want to be able to share all of these untold stories with with the world. So we're, we're creating a book. And um, you never know. Maybe it will be a miniseries after. <laughs> if you want, I'll start, pl- the, uh, I'll start plugging it from now if you want. I mean, I'm a big, yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm a, I, I've written two books, so I know what it's like to – uh, write a book. I know that's a, a, a very a rigorous endeavor. Uh, you know, the book yeah. goes with the television series. You know, I could see it on uh, television and, and one of the commercials was, hey, if you love the stories, get the coffee table book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially if you, have, if you have 200 hours of material, I am telling you there are gems in there. Uh, yeah. Just because I there saw I saw some of the unearthed gems on the screen when I saw the movie. And uh, I'm telling you, there's got to be you know, the Hope Diamond and the, you know, all kinds of great, I don't know the names of famous, you know, minerals and things like that, but you have great stuff. I, t- I, I know it. Thank and, you so much. and, and you, in many ways, the greatest Shonda would be for it to kind of stay in the vaults. Uh, it really all needs right. to see the light of day. Uh, by the way, in case you're listening and just joining us, uh, Ellen Goldfarb is just an amazing movie maker and she made a movie called New Wave. Dare to be different. It's the story of WLAR right here from Nassau County, uh, where we're broadcasting from. And uh, she has so much passion. She was a fan, like many of us were. And uh, we didn't get so. So, how did you find all the LAR DJs like uh, Malibu Sue and Donna Donna and Larry the Duck and everybody else? How did you find them and uh, how did you get them to sit down and talk about you know all of the poignant stories that they experienced? Well, I think, um, as I said before, you know, the first person that I contacted was Dennis. And through Dennis, I met Epi. And through Epi, I met Max. And through Max, I met Sue and Donna. (laughs) And through Dennis, I met Larry and so forth. And, you know, as soon as they heard about this project, they, they wanted to be part of it. I mean, you know, many of them, um, have left radio. Some are still in radio, uh, like Donna is still in radio, um, and Ray White is still in radio, and Bob Waugh is still in radio, and Dennis does consulting for radio. Um, And so, but some of them have left and done other things. And in any case, LIR was a huge part of all of their lives. And it's interesting, you know, someone like Donna, who's been on WBAB for so many years, she says people still come up to her and say, you know, oh, my God, you're Donna Donna from LIR. And she's like, yeah, like that's how they remember her because it was such a huge 
part of their life. And as soon as they heard about the project, they all wanted to be part of it. And so then they would call some of the other DJs and everyone, I got every, pretty much everyone on board. I mean, took seven years to track everyone down and find them. And sadly, you know, some passed away along, along the way, you know, we, I had Elton, um, interviewed, but, um, you know, he was very sick and, um, he's in a little part of the film, but there wasn't really anything we can use, but there might be a couple of stories that he told, um, that weren't clear. So we couldn't really put it out there visually, but we hopefully will be able to put it in the book. Um, and Barry Ravioli, I never was able to interview him. Unfortunately, he passed away um, while we were doing the process. Um, but um, we pretty much got almost everyone that was, you know, pretty much part of that um, transition when they transitioned formats, uh, when they when they changed the format um, to the new new music format. So. That was our goal. Um, but people like Carol Silva and Steve North had really interesting stories. They weren't part of the new format, but they were um, the news people. And I'd like to put some of Steve's stories in um, in the transcripts in the book. Um, you know, we tried our best to get as many people that we interviewed as we can in the film. And, you know, they may have our one or two second spot, but we wanted to get as many people as we interviewed in it, you know. You, you have some. We, did, we interviewed amazing people, amazing people. So that, um, that was, it was you, you have some amazing people with amazing stories. And, and some of the behind the scenes is really funny. Like the whole thing about WLIR security, <laughs> you know, yeah. how, you know, it sounded like the door that just, you know, you just, jam open a certain way, use a coat hanger to open and, you know. Well, you know, as I said, you know, earlier, you know, LIR, they were using, unfortunately, they had to use a lot of their money on attorneys and lawyer fees. So, you know, they were operating on a low income and they, you know, they were joking. They would say, you know, LIR stood for low income radio, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and and I think Larry says, yeah, we did it for the beer. You know, like, <laughs> I asked these DJs, I'm like, what made you stay? You know, they were they were telling funny stories how they used to have to run to the bank because there might not be any money left if you weren't, like, first or second at the bank. I'm like, you're crazy. How, how did you afford to make a living and stay there? And they didn't care. They were young guys, you know, and gals at that time. They were rock stars working on LIR. They felt like they were rock stars, and they they really were. I mean, they had following of these, you know, avid listeners and fans that would follow them and do whatever they wanted. If they said go to a certain club, these fans followed them, you know. Um, If they said buy this record, the fans would buy the record. Like, these people were so influenced by these DJs, and so – the DJs loved the music. They loved what they were doing, and they didn't care if they were getting paid. It was a really interesting time. You well, know? well, what was really funny is um, Larry and I were both um, being filmed for a television series out in Montauk. It's called the American Dream Show. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is that all these different people listed, but um, I brought my family, uh, you know, because we stayed for the weekend. And I'm like, Larry, Larry from WLIR is here. Like, like it might as well have been like, yeah, they had the Pope. Yeah, yeah, the president. Yeah, yeah. No, but Larry's here. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> it was like, it was like, I, so I get it. It was like when you grew up with all of these people and they were in your home and in your car and they were with you at all the major events of your life, um, there was a, it was a connection that really transcends today's social media it was much more even though it was sort of unidirectional because they kind of broadcasted to you and you were just on the receiving end of it and they didn't really get the the reflection back so to speak you felt very connected to them uh their lives their stories their jokes you know you look forward to them these are like you know your afternoon friends or you'd study to them or or you know about the commercials too i mean we used to laugh about the LIR commercials, they were classic commercials. They were fun. 
They were creative. Um, they were kind of personalized to the Long Island scene. It was, they were the best, you know, just the clubs and, and the, um, you know, car dealers and, and all, I radio, you know, record stores. And I just remember all the, the really unique kinds of commercials and the DJs would, you know, they would produce some of them themselves and do kind of wacky kind of skits and put in, you know, uh, TV and movie clips and do really creative things, um, interstitial kind of things where you don't get that yeah. on radio today. All right. This is Richard Solomon. I got to take a quick last break. Keep it right in. We have Ellen Goldfarb. She's amazing. We'll be right back. Hi, this is the Great Sordini. You're listening to Richard Solomon on 88.1 FM WCWP. All right, Richard Solomon taking care of business. This show is about the movie New Wave, Dare to be Different, and it'll be Dare to be Different, the movie.com, made by Ellen Goldfarb with us today. Uh, she's been incredible. It's an incredible movie. I really urge Everybody out there who is a lover of WLIR and all kinds of music, especially the music of WLIR in its in its day, uh, to go see it. So, speaking of following the information about this, uh, where can people go on the internet and find out where the movie's playing, where the iterations of it, where your uh, you know the secret behind the scenes stories are going to be revealed one day, all that good stuff. Okay, so. Um Unfortunately, our distributor um, has not made their official press release about our movie, but we have pick, been picked up for distribution in the United States and Canada. So legally, we are not allowed to announce that until they do. But I will say that everyone will be able to see this film probably starting in March, and March of 2018. Two, okay. Right. Yeah. We have a two-year contract with this distributor, um, possibly longer. But for now, in the U.S. and Canada, it will be very available, um, uh, probably starting in March of this year. And then um, soon after it premieres, we will be able to um, sell our film on transactional video on demand, you know, form, formats like Amazon and iTunes. We will have a DVD for sale. We are working on a soundtrack. So what our hopes are is to have the soundtrack DVD being sold together or separately, but we're going to have an amazing, amazing soundtrack um, to go with the film. And then um, I'm working on this book. Um, and so those are the exciting things that are happening now, we have been at so far nine United States film festivals, including which included our uh, big premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. And we have so far won three awards for Best Documentary and Best Music Documentary, which is fantastic, um, far exceeding my expectations. And we um, will be premiering uh, Europe, uh, in Europe in January at a film festival in Italy called CU Sound. Uh, so that'll be our European premiere. And uh, we have hopes of being in many film festivals um, in Europe and across, across the globe. So this is a worldwide film. Um, we have some really great um, sales, a really great sales team that are working on international distribution for us now. And so we really want this to go worldwide. So now if you're looking, we're really excited about the future of, of Dare to Be Different, New Wave Dare to Be Different. Are you looking for anybody out there who has maybe memorabilia or sound clips to forward them your way? You know, we're finished with the film. So, no, no, but just, um, just in terms of you know, social media stuff. Sure. I mean, if people, so let me tell you how we, we're getting our word out to the masses. So um, we're, we will in the future be developing a constant contact list so that we can, you know, email people. But for right now, we have a huge social media following on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. So 
Um, Facebook, it's Dare to Be Different the Movie, uh, is, is, you know, Facebook at Dare to Be Different the Movie. Um, and Instagram and Twitter is DTBD the Movie. Um, so please follow us on these social media pages so that you can keep up to date on, um, when things will be released and whatnot. And, um, eventually we will be collecting emails to do a constant contact email blast of everything. And of course, you can follow our website, which is dare to be different the movie.com. So can I look forward to the, the other 198 hours being released at some point? Yeah. So, um, what we plan on doing is taking, um, some of the untold stories that we couldn't fit in the movie and put them into, um, a book. Um, and so we're working on that and, um, you know, you never know. We may have some kind of a mini series. If, if someone's interested in an eighties mini series, we have enough for that as well. So you never know what the future will bring with all of the material that we have. We have a lot of really, really good stuff. So what now when you saw the movie for the first time, in a seat, in a theater, not, not behind mm-hmm. the editing board and all the other stuff. What, 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 how did that hit you? You know, as, as, as a movie goer, not as you, the producer, not as you, the editor, not as you, as the person who assembled it all. But when you sat there and you watched it up on the big screen, what did you feel? Goosebumps, total goosebumps. I remember just getting really emotional. Um, you know, I was the director, so, um, you know, yeah, I was the storyteller putting everything together. Um, like I said, you know, my brother and I and our editor worked hundreds and hundreds of hours, you know, putting everything together. So, you know, it's a creation. It's your baby. It's your masterpiece. And when you finally see it on a big screen, I mean, you're going to get emotional. I think I definitely got teary-eyed. And, you know, the music is so moving because that's a huge part of the storyline is the music. And, you know, I picked certain songs that I knew would be effective. And I wanted to have people get emotional when they saw this. I wanted them to laugh. I wanted them to cry. I wanted them to go back to that time that they remember when they were teenagers or young adults and remember being in the 80s. I wanted to transcend people back to that time. And I, I think I did a pretty good job. I mean, the feedback that I got was, wow, you took me back. Even if you didn't grow up on Long Island, I mean, we've screened this movie all over the country. We were in L.A. and Dallas and Florida, and it didn't matter. People still felt like they went back to the 80s, and they were able to um, – feel like they were listening to their own radio station that eventually, you know, took what LIR was doing and did it in their own city. And, you know, they still were able to relate to it, which was really, really important to us. We had many, many different variations of the movie, obviously. You know, this this wasn't our first cut. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we had... Um, we had, you know, some friends and family come and screen the first couple of, um, you know, screenings of, of what we put together. And the feedback we got was, you know, it's, it's too Long Island. It's too LIR. If you want to make this worldwide, you're going to need to change some things. So that's what we needed to do because we wanted not only it to be um, a tribute to LIR, but it had to be relatable to the world. People needed to understand that this was a global story. And so fortunately, I think we did a good job because as we traveled the country with the film, we did get really good feedback and interestingly won best documentary film in places. Well, we did win it at the Gold Coast, but we also won it in places other than New York. So that was really great to see. I, I voted, by the way. So. Thank you. <laughs> I did vote. Yeah. Let me, let me, I, I really can't say this. Enough. It is an amazing movie. And it hit me on so many different levels. On a nostalgia level, I was like, wow. Oh, you know, those were it's great very times. very nostalgic. Right? Yeah. On, on, a nostal- on a music level, I was like, wow, that was great music. And, you know, 
unfortunately, you know, I don't want to be critical of today's music, but for some reason, today's music is very formulaic and not so grabby. Whereas uh, it was so much more deeper, the, the music said more, it was more edgy, it was more everything. Um, and it was interesting to go to a record store. I mean, I remember going to Tower Records and all okay. these other places. I, I remember going to Canada, going to Sam the Record Man. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I miss those days when you would go to Tower Records uh, either on Broadway or in Carl Place, Long Island. And you, that's how, you know, you'd let your fingers do the walking, so to speak. And you'd come back with all kinds of music. Um, yeah. when, when I worked for a law firm in Great Neck, there were a number of us who would actually work late at night listening to radio. Um, and, and the number one station that we actually listened to was, at least for some of us, was WLIR. And, okay. we, and the thing that I remember was when WLIR would announce a concert and then we don't, oh, I got to go see that. Like, that was like the funniest thing. I remember there was a, a coworker, I had the, uh, Janet, great lawyer. And I remember when they would announce like, so-and-so would be playing at name a venue. And, and then she'd be working on an appeal. I'd be working on something and I'd be like, Hey, we got to go to that. You know, like, you know, we got to call, <laughs> call everybody, you know, we, we all got to go, you know, and, and it, that's how we kind of got a lot of our concert information or, or whatever. And it was cool to listen to the screamer of the week and kind of, um, you know, see, see all that stuff. Yeah, LIR had great programs. I mean, off the boat, Screamer of the Week. I mean, this is where you heard this new music played first for the very first time. So, you know, those were, they were amazing times. And um, being able to bring everyone back to those fantastic times is, you know, it's a, time a great achievement. It's a it time a great machine. You, you yeah, know, it's a time machine. You know, it's funny, you know, when you watch... MTV today, it's not what MTV was. And I remember I was in college and my friend Wayne said to me, you got to check this out. There's this thing called music television. And he had this like party. It was more like a, like a picnic barbecue kind of thing. And what he did is he just took the speakers, plugged it into his TV and then kind of beamed the sound out. So we didn't even see that, but it was all this like really great music. And, and I remember when you talked about PLJ and APP, I remember when they had the commercial free summer. Everybody called it the Wapple, um, right. and I remember all that stuff. And 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 as as someone who kind of grew up through all that, I you know I used to listen to you know WABC uh, music radio as a little kid. I put a little Radio Shack, you know, you don't see those anymore, really. Radio Shack transistor radio under my pillow, and I would listen to music, you know, while going to sleep. I just you know kind of like that's how I'd kind of fall asleep. I put on the it was like a two by two, just a little transistor radio. And I would just listen to music and it'd be, and, and the wonder of the music and, uh, and the songs you wanted to hear. I remember when, um, WABC had sort of things where they would replay the song because it was just a great song. They would play it again. It's like, wow, you know, um, and that, that your movie brought back hundreds of memories. All those memories, uh, came back. And the first thing I did was I called people very close to me just to show, sort of share the reminiscing of, remember when we used to do this? Remember that? And, and you know how it is when songs remind you of time frames in your life where there were songs yes. that were hot either in you know high school, college, whatever, uh, for, for different people. You brought all of that back, at least I can say that <laughs> on a personal level for me. And then the people who weren't lucky enough to go to the movie, I called them and they're like, wow, I would have loved to have seen that. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, next time. But uh, it was a very powerful mechanism. You know, one of the things I did with Epi that was kind of cool is we did two shows called What Would WLIR Play Today If mm-hmm. They Were On The Air? So we actually, we went to the studio, and um, I think it was the Mighty Max Meester gave him something like, you know, 100 CDs, and, and Epi would just hand me a CD and just say, play number four. <laughs> and we just literally did that for a couple hours. And then, you know, we had Dennis McNamara on. So I got to taste a little bit of this, but you really got oh, to oh. you got to be part of it. And I think that was just... Uh, not only in terms of the movie, but just sort of um, from an experience point of view, it must have been a great journey. It must have been a great journey to... Well, what's so, what's so wonderful about the whole thing, and I mean, this is absolutely priceless, is that, you know, some of these people haven't spoken to each other since they left WLAR, and I kind of brought the family back together. And what really I feel is, the biggest achievement of all is that for many years, Dennis 
didn't really he 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 didn't really want to talk about LIR anymore. He was really upset about what the FCC did. And when the station closed, he took it personally. He felt like LIR was a failure. And when I first approached him about doing this film, he didn't really want to talk. You know, he had a lot of emotional things that he had to sort out regarding the past. And when he finally saw the hundreds of people that came out from fans to artists to club owners to record label producers to big music executives and talk highly about him and what he did for music and and breaking all of these artists and what an important person he is to the music industry, he then realized, wow, I guess I really did do something right. And I think I helped change this person's life. And that's priceless. That's priceless. He now has a completely different attitude about the past and what happened. And he is a different person. And that is the biggest joy of this whole process and getting these DJs back together and forming our family again. And we're, we're a big family again. And even with the artists, we're all connected and it's wonderful, you know, because they're just amazing people. They deserve all of the accolades that they're getting. And I'm glad I was able to bring them out and, you know, bring them into the spotlight and, and show the world what amazing people they are. So that's my biggest joy. Wow. Well, you know, it's, it's like sort of like a whole music ecosystem because you need the, the bands for the content. You need the radio to spread the word. You know, you need, you need the records to be produced and you need, you know, the, you know, everybody's part of like the, the whole ecosystem and mm-hmm. all the parts are incredibly vital from the songwriters to the sound engineers and to the radio personalities. Absolutely. You know, uh, I remember seeing what is the, the WLIR van or something like that. You know, yeah. I, lo- I love that, Just, you know, and and it's like, yeah. like you said, the, the, the radio personalities felt like friends that, you know, they were just people. They you felt just, like friends and they know. are, they really are. I mean, they're so personal and warm to their audience and, you know, even the fans today, you know, they're still just so lovely with their fans today and they're just it, it's so different than than what you would see today you know the egos and and whatnot i mean yeah it's they're they're still really really appreciative of their fans oh. and um that's really nice to see count me as a fan i am honored me too <laughs> i i am honored that you gave us the time to be with uh with us today you have an amazing movie uh what you did for music nostalgia uh, radio, uh, I cannot clap or, or bow enough. Uh, I really thank you for what you've done uh, to help us sort of go so back much. in time and uh, really appreciate it. So real fast, it's uh, uh, New Wave, Dare to be Different, uh, Dare to be Different, the movie.com, Ellen Goldfarb, uh, catch her on Facebook, social media, Instagram, Facebook, all that great stuff. We'll update you here and uh, we'll put in our little blurbs on all of our social media platforms, any updates. And if you want to send us an email, by all means do so, and we'll make sure that Ellen gets a forward of that. So, Ellen, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Richard. Happy New Year. Thank you. And for everyone out there, we'll see you next week.